Regenerative medicine has been around forever. It's been around since the gladiators. No one knows about this, right? If you look at from the time that the super smart PhD scientists discover something to the time that the medical doctors adopt it is like on average 20 years. And then from the time that your average you know, medical doctor adopts something to the time that the average population knows about it is like another 20 years. Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher, and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. If you have ever felt frustrated with our Western medical system but don't know where else to turn, if you are dealing with a chronic issue but you don't know how to get to the root cause, then I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Dr. Allison Mulcahy, and I met her actually inside of Evidence of Magic, which is our mastermind group here at Ziva. And she showed up on retreat at our first initiation retreat, and I was like, who is this woman? She has equal parts witch and doctor. She is actually double board certified in emergency medicine and integrative medicine. And you're going to learn about what integrative medicine is on this episode. And she has an extensive background in regenerative medicine, functional medicine, anti-aging, wilderness medicine, genomics, and hormone therapy. I have never seen someone so passionate about merging Eastern and Western modalities who has the level of knowledge, passion, and expertise as this woman. So if there's a piece of you that's looking to get to the root cause of your health, if there's a piece of you that's looking for some sort of hope about how we can transform our medical system. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you would like to dive deeper into these powerful modalities, you can join me at zivameditation.com slash why this. Now, when you head there, you're going to find free bonus content. I am talking mini masterclasses for myself and these amazing guests to help you really experience firsthand the power of these modalities. All you have to do is head to zivameditation.com slash why this. Dr. Allison Mulcahy, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited for this conversation. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Emily. Thanks yeah. so much for having me. You're so special. Um, like there's, I've never met anyone who is such a legit doctor who is also doing such sort of like cutting edge. I'm not going to say new because these things have been around for a long time, but they're new to our Western culture and to, to blend them with such beautiful symbiosis. And, and I know that you're starting a podcast soon and it's called Witch Doctor. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought I knew what that word meant. But when I see you, you were like a doctor. You're like, I mean, look, you're wearing scrubs. <laughs> look, she's playing the part. You are a doctor, double board certified in emergency medicine. You've taught ultrasound all over the world. <laughs> and you're doing these sort of like, dare I say, like out there, like sort of like woo woo alternative treatments and, and people from like very high powered, influential people are coming to your retreats, are coming to your centers and seeing beautiful transformations in their health and their psychology and their nervous systems. So I was like, oh, she really is a witch doctor. <laughs> like you're equal parts witch and doctor, which is fascinating. So can you just, before we even go into why isn't everyone practicing regenerative medicine, can you give us a little snapshot of your journey? Like how did you go from eating donuts at 3 a.m. <laughs> doing your residency to like now one of the happiest people I've ever met? Oh, yeah. Thank you. And and I think I think my journey, like many people's, like if I look back, it makes a lot of sense. But when it was happening, I I 
you know, I, I had like these two parallel paths. So I, I had my own journey growing up. I had scoliosis. I wore a back brace for nine years and I kind of, through that, I, I looked into all sorts of different healing modalities. What ages were you wearing a back brace? <clears throat> From age nine to 17. Oh, so That's not going to be great for the sex life. No, not, <laughs> not great for not, like making out. <laughs> not good for a lot of things, but it was really good for me opening, for opening my eyes to all these other different types of healing modalities. Uh-huh. So I had that on the side, just kind of looking at my, you know, healing myself and then I was super into science. So I studied engineering. I, had a, I got a chemical engineering degree. Wait, you have a chemical engineering degree too? <laughs> yeah. Who are you? <laughs> you guys just get ready. This woman, like her, her knowledge, her curiosity knows no end. Okay. When did you get, just before you got a medical degree, <laughs> mm-hmm. you got a chemical engineering degree? Yeah. So I studied chemical engineering and I, and I, I like, I always was into math and science, just super curious. And I, I worked in environmental engineering for a bit at a paper mill, actually. And then while I was doing that, I was like, I was like, I think I need to be working with people. Like it was just like a lot of computers, a lot of uh, data analysis, a lot of being in the plant, but not working with people. And, and they're stinky. Those yeah. paper mills are oh, they're stinky. so stinky. And and I've been trying to reverse the damage that I did. I think from from all those toxins. So mm. I didn't like I didn't know anything about that. Then toxins, molds, like just all this exposure. And then after that, so I, I volunteered in the hospital, and I thought I think maybe. I want to be a doctor. Like, I think that's a great way to combine my love of math and science with working with people. And, and so I actually looked, this was like back in 2000, 2001, I looked into naturopathic medical school because I was super interested in like the body can heal itself and allopathic medical school, which is typical MD medical school. And, and at the time, I don't remember who gave me this advice, but people were like, Hey, if you want to change the system, you, you need to change it from the inside. So basically like become an MD, become super credentialed, and then you can start to affect change. Like naturopathic doctors are amazing. I have a lot of amazing naturopathic doctor friends and still they're not, they're, they don't have licenses in many states. They just don't have, unfortunately, that authority. Wait, you can't even get licensed as a naturopathic physician in a yeah. lot of states? Yeah, Whoa. it's wild. Okay. I know, still in mm-hmm. 2023. And it's way better than it was in, in 2001. But I sort of was like, okay, like I'm interested in all these different healing modalities. There's obviously something to it. Like Western medicine for me, it was like stick me in a back brace and and you know try and keep my spine from from curving more, but really like that doesn't make any sense. Like there's like what caused the spine to get curved in the first place. And so I was always curious about that. But then once you get on the medical school track, it's like, it's like you're in it for 10 years. So I went in, I went to medical school, I went to residency and emergency medicine, fellowship and ultrasound. And I was kind of on that like very traditional, like allopathic. I, I trained in Oakland in a county hospital and you know, knife and gun club, like volunteered all around the world. And, and so I, and I, I actually like were seeing injuries from knife and glove, like knife injuries, gun injuries. Yeah. From clubs. So much trauma, like so much like acute trauma and, and something that like, that's come through for me with my own journey more recently is like, I have been present with so many people crossing over to the other side, just in that in that work. Is the first time you saw someone die as a doctor or had you witnessed death before then? I had not witnessed, I had not been with someone. So it was okay. as a doctor, yeah. And how do you think that changed you? I mean, I could do a, probably a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Because I think it changes you fundamentally yeah. when you witness death. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. So I, I mean, this like backs up. Like I grew up, I grew up Catholic. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a recovering, <laughs> like probably still recovering Catholic. Yep. And, and growing up, I, 
you know, I, it was like fire and brimstone, like Boston, like Irish Catholic, that's my background. Mm -hmm. And, and growing up in that environment, like as a very young kid, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, like I am going to go to hell if I, if I don't do the right thing. And I would have these dreams actually of being on a conveyor belt with like a fire pit under me, like pretty intense. And so as a kid, I was like, I'm going to become a nun. Like that is the way, that is the way to avoid going to this place called hell, which, which like in retrospect is kind of wild. So I, but I was on this very like, like I'm going to become a nun or, and then like I was in campus crusades for Christ, like my first year of college, which is like. <laughs> like missionary work. Oh, I mean, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's very entertaining and amusing to me at this point, but <laughs> because of how much I've shifted from that, um, but so that, so, you know, that's where I was like, kind of like, I like following the religious construct. And then when I, when I was in residency, probably in med school and residency, just seeing so much death, so much suffering, I actually became an athe- atheist for a while. So there was a period of time. Because you're like, how could there be a God who would let this much suffering and death happen? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, th- like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, and, and I remember like people, like patients would say like, Hey, will you pray with us so that our son survives? And, and I, I was, I was kind of like, I don't like, I don't want to give you false hope. Like, I don't think your son's gonna survive. I mean, and I didn't, I didn't <laughs> I mean, hold on. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm nursing my dying son. You're my doctor, and I'm like, can you pray with us? And you're like, mm, chances are low. <laughs> well, I know, I know. This is like, this is to show you, like, and I, I didn't say like, I wasn't like, no, I'm not gonna pray with you. Of course. But I like in my head, I was like, oh, this is like this is false hope. Like, I don't want to give these people false hope. Wow. And, and what, but what I started to notice, notice over time is I was like, there are things I can't explain. So many things that I saw like firsthand, you know, like you can read books about what happens when people have near death experiences or, or, you know, or like these spontaneous remissions, all these things, but like actually being in the ER and seeing things that don't make any sense. Right. So like pa- patients, people that would come in that like, you know, didn't seem super sick. And then all of a sudden something happens, they code and they die, but we do everything right. And we're like scratching our heads, like what just happened? And then the opposite, like people that have like, they come in and they maybe have like a bleed in their brain, like something where they definitely should die. And they like walk out of the hospital normal. So after like countless, you know, witnessing of, of patients with this happening, I just, at some point I was like, I, I'm a space holder. Like I'm basically... Like I am holding space for what's happening for people and I'm being present and like, and I'm, of course I'm going to follow all the protocols. I'm going to do, I'm going to, you know, be a really diligent, good ER doctor. But, but I was like, there's something else happening here. And I started talking to lots of the other doctors and nurses that I was working with, like in, and pe- the longer people had been doing it, the more they were like, oh yeah, totally. Like, it, like the, like there's something we can't explain. And in some ways it kind of made the job less stressful. Cause I was it like, it takes it off you. You're like, I'm I was not like, playing God. Yes, there's something exactly, bigger. Exactly. Like, cause, cause I think like they kind of teach us a little bit in med school and in residency that like, I mean, they don't say these words, but it's almost like you're God. You can like, you can alter the course of what's happening here. And, and, and I taught residents for a while. And, and I remember like, you know, sharing this idea with the residents when I was still a young attending and the residents were kind of like, no, like we're like, what we're doing is really like impacting things. But then I would talk to doctors and nurses who had been doing it for a long time and they're like, oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like we're just, 
we're just like being present space holders and we're here for a reason. Like I think like the good healers, whether they're allopathic or naturopathic energy healers, like any type Chinese medicine, any type of healer, it's really because like we're being present with people. Well, this is interesting because I, I went to Dr. Joe Dispenza's retreat in December mm-hmm. and, um, and he explained energy healing in a way that I'd never fully gotten before. Because I think I always assume like, oh, that person has special powers and they're using their special powers to heal someone else's body. Yeah. And he's like, nope, that's nope. not it at all. You as an energy healer, you are tapping into this other field, this yeah. collective consciousness. And, and if this person wants to receive this healing and also has the ability to tap into the field, you're both getting into coherence with each other, tapping into the field of limitless possibility. And that is the mechanism by which the healing happens. No one's doing anything to yeah. anyone else. Yep. We're all just tapping into the field. But in being there and believing something is possible, it's like you're being a conduit or an alchemist of that person really healing themselves yes. to some degree. Now, obviously, if you have a broken bone, like someone <coughs> is physically putting that back together, I get that there's also 3D things happening. But when you're talking about the realm of the energetic or the inexplicable. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you're on the allopathic track. You start to see so many, you go atheist because of all the death and destruction. (laughs) You start to ask, like, there's something bigger here. And then what happens? Yeah. And then I, you know, I had like, we, the universe is really good at giving us opportunities to learn and grow. And, and it's <laughs> a really gentle way of saying it. Yeah. So I, so my last year of training, when I was uh, doing a fellowship in ultrasound, I was still up at the County hospital in Oakland. I had some personal stuff that happened. I went through a pretty uh, traumatic divorce with, it was kind of like a, a Grey's Anatomy episode for the whole year. I was just thinking, I wish you had your own show. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want the witch doctor version of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was totally like, yeah, it, I mean, and I think people still like know this story now. So it was, it was this like, you know, sensational like Grey's Anatomy episode that I was in and um, and I was in Oakland. So like really close to get down to like Esalen at Big Sur and like come down here. We were talking before about I, I came down to a bunch of workshops down in LA, Ojai. And and so it kind of put me on this like, like I was really honestly just trying to feel better. Like I was, I was in a low place and I was like, I just want to feel better. I don't want to be crying every day. But I had this real sense of like, like there's something like this, these tears are not about what's happening right now. This is like deeper. And it was like this portal into, into like really opening up this other side of myself. And so I spent, you know, all of my, all my time off basically going to retreats and and diving into all sorts of different modalities, um, initially with the intention to like heal myself and feel better, but then it kind of moved into like, oh, there's this whole other world out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then it's kind of like, once you see that stuff, you can't unsee it. So then I kind of did this dance for a bunch of years working in various ERs where I, I had I and it had been happening in a sense for a while, like since I thought about going to naturopathic school and learning about all the different modalities earlier. But I had these two like very parallel lives. Like, you know, my like allopathic ER doctor, like I was working in acad- academia, like I had, you know, associate and assistant professor, uh, you know, designations at various academic school uh, institutes. And then, and then I'm like, for myself, I'm like doing cranial, like learning and also getting craniosacral therapy, energy healing, like naturopathic medicine, like you name it, sound healing, sacred sexuality, all these things that I was like super interested in. And I, and I didn't, I really, I, it wasn't, I didn't have any intention of trying to merge them because honestly I'd forgotten about my intention of going to naturopathic med school. Like I was just like, I'm an ER doctor 
and it's the best job in the world. I work seven to 10 shifts a month. I have all the rest of the days off and I can explore all this other stuff. And I didn't, I never really consciously thought that they were going to come together. And you never went into work on a Monday and you were like, I just did the craziest thing this weekend. <laughs> I was doing psilocybin while someone was doing sound bowls on my sacral chakra. <laughs> like you just, was it like, were you hiding it or would you sort of, you know, tease it out and see people's reactions? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So like I, I'm super into astrology and like I ended up, I ended up in Alaska, working in year in Alaska, and I have a house up there still for a while because my astrologer was like, you have amazing alignments in Juneau, Alaska. And, and so she tells me this. I was like trying to figure out where to go after residency. She tells me this. And then like literally four days later, I was teaching an ultrasound workshop down in Monterey or up in Monterey, I guess, from here. And uh, and I'm going around in my group and it's the doctors are like, I'm from Stockton, I'm from Sacramento, I'm from LA. And then this man is like, I'm from Juneau, Alaska. And, and I was like, no way. Like, how did this happen? Like, I, you know, I'd, I'd never been to Juneau. And so I like the the universe just like kind of pulled me there. I didn't tell them. And it it unfolded super easily. Like, you didn't tell them that your astrologer I did told you to move to Juneau. I right away. <laughs> I did like later. So after a while, I mean, I think people started to see. I started to do like very like I would like when when people were coding, which means like when their heart was stopping in the ER. I started to do things like I would hold on. I would check their cranial rhythm. So you know, I'm, I'm checking their like pulse which is what we do in conventional medicine, but I'm also checking their cranial rhythm, which is their, like, it's a different rhythm that we check of cranial sacral fluid. So I'm like- and just to pause on that, like, for anyone who's listening who has not heard of craniosacral therapy, I'll, I'll give my layman's and yeah. you can correct me. Yeah. So there's craniosacral fluid that is what the brain is encased in, and it flows up and down the central nervous system and up and down the spine. Yeah. And there's two points, occipital points on the back of the brain, and if you hold them, you can actually stop that flow and that pulse of the cerebral spinal fluid, which puts the body into a resting state so that it can, heal yeah yeah and And, i mean we could and it has a pulse too it does yeah and like osteopathic medicine like they osteopathic doctors they they study craniosacral therapy in in depth and like the the osteopathic doctors that continue to do the manipulations are amazing with with doing this type of work and and so like what you're saying what you just talked about is called a still point induction so and you can do that you can do that in the back of the head but I could do it anywhere like I could just touch your thigh and feel your rhythm and stop it there too mm-hmm. and so that is a reset but it's all about like if you don't have flow like if your cerebral spinal fluid is constricted at any point like let's say it's constricted at like the the T4 level any and T4 being like thoracic. the thoracic vertebrae so any 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 of the nerves, any of the um, innervation from T4, organs, uh, muscles, et cetera, that's going to be affected. So the idea is like, and it's kind of like we talk about our nervous system, like if you have a spinal injury, then at that level and below, people aren't going to be, be able to move, feel, there's, they're going to have dysfunction. But the cranial rhythm, uh, it's more subtle, meaning like obviously if your spinal cord gets cut in half, like you're going to know, everyone's going to know. But if your cranial rhythm, if your if your cerebral spinal fluid has a constriction, it's not as um, dramatic. It's not as obvious. Yeah. So it and and most people don't really know about cranial sacral therapy. It's really mm-hmm. subtle. Like if when you get the work done, it's really subtle. It's mm-hmm. not it's not like Reiki where you're not touching at all. But it's certainly not like you know deep a massage. Yeah. Sweet friend, if you are loving this conversation and would like to dive deeper into these powerful modalities, I want to invite you to join me at zivameditation.com slash why this. Now there you're going to find free bonus content that we simply could not fit inside of the episodes. I'm talking mini masterclasses with our amazing guests like Aubrey Marcus, Layla Martin, Blue, Vailana, and myself. 
So come experience the tools that we reveal in the podcast for yourself. Simply head to zivameditation.com slash why this. Yeah. So I want to hear about all of your different <laughs> modalities and all the, the different types of treatments that you offer. But I first want to hear, like, how did these parallel paths merge? Yeah. Like when, when was the point where you were like, oh, I want to <laughs> integrate these? Yeah, 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 good question. So it started merging. So I, like, I've been, like, a competitive athlete my whole life, and I did a good and, – and because of my, like, imbalance with my spine, I did a really good job of, like, messing up my body. So, you know, like, my – Right, my patterns kind of been like my right knee and my left hip, the left side of my back, my right shoulder, my right neck in terms of like where I get injuries and pain. And so in 2016, it came to a head where my knee uh, was really bothering me a lot. And I was supposed to go up on Denali to work a rescue patrol up there. Where's Denali? Um, it's like Mount Denali is the highest peak in the country. It's in Alaska. And so, so I was going up with like with the National Park Service basically to to provide like uh, doctoring rescue services for for climbers who got in trouble, and and I've been like I also a third path of my life has been like tons of like wilderness medicine outdoor like you know like months and months of my life outside backpacking camping etc. So I'm supposed to go up there and. And my knee's hurting. And I know like it it's been hurting on and off for many years. And and I was kind of like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if I can go up and, you know, pull this sled and like, carry a heavy backpack and like be available to help other people. And so I went in and saw an orthopedic surgeon and he and I didn't know anything about regenerative medicine. I I really more or less had like just kind of closed the door on all these ideas of, in the past of being a more alternative healer. I went to see an orthopedic surgeon and luckily he did not do surgery on me, but he was like, Hey, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to end up needing a knee replacement by the time you're 50. And I was probably, I bet I was like 45 or 40 at the time. And so I was like, okay, that's a wake up call. Um, and, and he also luckily didn't give me steroids, but he, you know, he was like, you need to stop running. You need to stop backpacking. Like basically you need to stop doing all weight bearing things. And I was like, Hmm, doesn't seem like a good plan. So I called a friend who's an orthopedic surgeon from med school. And, and I was like, you know, what do you think? And he's like, Oh, you should go see Allie. Who's another friend from med school who does regenerative medicine. She lives in Tahoe. We went to med school in Reno I went out and saw her. She injected my knee with PRP. What's PRP? Yeah. So it's platelet-rich plasma. So basically like take your blood out, spin it down, and then pull off the platelets. The platelets have tons of growth factors. And growth factors, I think of they're like signaling molecules. So like, you know, if you get road rash, you get that like, um, or if you scrape yourself, you'll get that like sort of like golden, crusty stuff when it's starting to heal on your mm -hmm. skin. Can you mm -hmm. picture that a mm -hmm. little bit? Mm -hmm. So that's PRP. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's super, it, it helps our body to heal. It signals to our body. We have stem cells in our body. Um, the main reservoirs that are easy to access are in our fat and in our bone marrow. So like when you get road rash, when you hurt yourself, your body sends its own stem cells there to heal it. But depending on how well your your body's working, it may send lots of stem cells or it may not send very many or it may actually, like sometimes our immune systems go sideways and it actually, you know, you injure yourself and then you get this chronic inflammatory thing. So by putting PRP into my knee, like my knee had kind of decided like, eh, it's cool. It's cool the way it is. Like, like we're okay. Like it's, I mean, and it was inflamed, like the cartilage was worn down. It was like, it was not good, you know, especially for a 40 year old. And I think like, 
I ran, I was a division one cross country and track runner in college. Right. So like so much pain in high school, you know, like I just like, I ran for years and years and I was like running away from my demons for sure. That's like another story. <laughs> another podcast for another day. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but so putting the PRP in there is like telling my body like, Hey, Hey body, like you gotta get, you gotta like heal this. Like there's like, this is not okay. We're like, we're not okay with keeping it like this. So I, so I went and got the PRP injection and I was like, this is so cool. And so in Allie, uh, she did her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And then she did an ultrasound fellowship, but musculoskeletal. My ultrasound fellowship was more like full body emergency medicine. And I was like, I want to do this. How do I do this? And, uh, and, and so she, she was like, Hey, go to this conference next summer and you can learn more about it. And I super naively thought that like I could just go to like a weekend conference and like, <laughs> and I would be like a musculoskeletal ultrasound expert, and and like that. What does ultrasound have to do with PRP? Yeah, good question. So in order to get the PRP in the knee, so I could like feel your knee. And historically, before we had ultrasound and imaging modalities like uh, fluoroscopy to get needles into spots, it would it would just be based on palpation. So like, I could just like, physical touch. Yeah, so I could feel your knee. And then be like, okay, I, like this is where I need to put the needle in order to put something in your joint, but it's not accurate. So, and and they've done studies using like like orthopedic surgeons who have done you know thousands of shoulder and knee injections, and they have them blind, blind meaning like they're not using any image guidance, and then they have them do it, and then they confirm with the image, and and like the accuracy is pretty bad, like less than fifty percent. And this is like. This is like doctors who've done tons of joint injections. Wow. So by using the ultrasound, we can make sure that the needle's going actually in the right place. Okay, got it. So in like, oh, go ahead. So you think, so you're, you think, okay, I'm going to go to this weekend certification. I'm going to graduate uh, with this PRP thing. And then what happened? Yeah. So I, so I, so I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just be trained in this. No big deal. I learn, I, I figure out like, oh no, this is like, this is definitely going to take a, a lot longer to like really learn all the intricacies and. And a lot of the injuries, a lot of pain isn't from the soft tissue. It's not from like the ligaments, not from the bones. It's not from the tendons. It's from the nerves. So, so learning like where all the nerves are. I mean, we've like, our, it's like in a full electric system. We have nerves everywhere in our body. So learning where all the nerves are and where the entrapment sites are, which is like where they naturally get pinched. Like that was that, I mean, that's an ongoing journey. And I feel like, I don't know if you feel like this, like in my life, I feel like the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And it used so. to really stress me out. I was like, what? I've been learning so much my whole life. How can there be infinite more to learn? Yeah. And now I'm excited about it. Yeah. I had to change my thinking. Yeah. I'm like, now I'm like stoked about the headroom. Totally. I'm like so much more to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, I feel like my body is like as a doctor, like my body will be like, okay, like, you know, like it'll, it'll, it'll like make me get injured or sit or like something, whatever, some weird thing. Like I'll get a lab value that I don't understand and then it allows me to like, now I'm just like, this is my teaching. Like now I can learn about it so that I can help people. And yeah. I, and I've totally shifted that. I used to be like, ah, my back. And, and now that I've shifted that, like it doesn't, and I've gotten injections, it doesn't really bother me as much, but the nerves. So if you imagine like, I don't know if we have a cord of some sort to show for a nerve, like, like this cord. So mm -hmm. imagine like this is a nerve. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then like, do you know what fascia is? Mm -hmm. Fascia is like, it's like the saran wrap that surrounds muscle. And it's stronger than steel. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. super strong. So mm -hmm. the nerves lie in between the fascial planes 
And and normally, like the fascial planes, it should slide easily and the nerve doesn't get grabbed. If you have injury, inflammation, infection, or sometimes just like the, where the way our anatomy is, it'll grab on the nerve uh. and it causes pain. So like in my case, like with my knee, for example, like I had nerves along the outside of my leg that were all irritated and being grabbed from injuries and stuff. So then what, you, what we can do is inject in between the fascial plane, release the nerve, the nerve flows better, it doesn't hurt as much, things feel a lot better. So I'm going down this road of like, basically like figuring out how to fix the 3D body with these injections. And this was probably, this was like 2016, 2017. But then with my own journey, so I get PRP and my knee blows up. Like it blows up like a balloon after. And Which is bad, I'm assuming. Well, like you don't, like, really, I mean, want you don't really want your knee to blow up like a balloon. It was okay. super painful. And, and PRP can be painful because it's stimulating your own immune system. Mm -hmm. But if you have like 10 people that all, you know, get the same injury, if, if a body is naturally inflamed, like I think of like if your body is really inflamed, it's like you have propane in your body all the time. You get injured. It's like you light a flame there. And then if you have a bunch of propane, it's going to make a, it's going to make a much bigger flame versus if you're not super inflamed, it won't. I was working night shifts in the ER at this point in like multiple different states, like eating donuts at three in the morning. So that sugar, like cortisol, all that stuff is just like blowing my knee up. Wow. Uh, but no one said anything. Mm -hmm. And so then, so then I like got, I, then I went from that to getting stem cells from myself. So like basically pulling out my fat, pulling out my bone marrow spinning it down, putting that in um, with some other regenerative products. So like there's all sorts of signaling molecules. Regenerative medicine has been around forever. It's been around since like the gladiators. And and like when the gladiators would, would tear their rotator cuff, what they would do is they would, they would get this like these like hot metal pokers. Like if you tore your rotator cuff or if you like, do you have any injuries right now? Yeah, my left lower back. Okay, cool. So I could take like, do you want me to want to let me do this? I could take like a nice hot poker, <laughs> like like a hot like metal like burning hot metal, and I could put it in there. I like literally like re-injure you, right? And then your body like that's a signaling molecule. Like that's going to signal your body like this is injured. Send some stem cells there. Immune system, go help this. Does that sound very fun though? No, no it sure sounds doesn't. like terrible, right? <laughs> so, so that's kind of like that's like but, old school. But that is fascinating. Just to like you know double click on this that this <laughs> regenerative medicine has been around for thousands of years, yeah. maybe tens of thousands of yes. years. Just like I know something's up, my body's signaling something to me. And old school, before we had like the ability to spin our platelets out of our blood or like take our marrow out of our bones, yeah, we would just like re-injure it with a hot poker or something yeah. else, or you know put and take the yeah. blood out or something like yeah. that. And so now it sounds like we've just really gotten specialized on like what actually, why were they sticking hot pokers into the gladiators? Oh, it's because we wanted to stimulate more of that PRP function. And so, so I'd like to just like close this loop on like yeah. how you integrated these. So you're on the allopathic track. You have a knee injury. It's keeping you from practicing. Yeah. The PRP blows it up. You recognize I have so much inflammation in my body. And then you tried the stem cells. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing it back. Mm -hmm. Like ER doctors, it's like chasing the like <laughs> the shiny objects. But I'm just, I just want people to understand like what was the yeah. impetus of you really merging yeah, totally. these two modalities. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my own journey. And then I, so I started learning things. I started doing, I learned these perineural injections, which What's are. What's that? Yeah, I know. Well, actually, just pause on that. Cause, <laughs> Cause you're, I want to know like all <laughs> yeah. of these details and I know you're going to teach us so yeah. much. Yeah. So, but let's just like name them so and we then can we'll understand. 
on the journey and then and then I yeah. want to like double click on each one. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love it. So so perineural injections, the, like the I started it's it's using dextrose. There is there, this is how it merged though. So I I was I was like, well, how can I do some of these things that I'm learning in the ER? Like mm. we can't do PRP, we can't do stem cells in the ER, but I can use dextrose. Dextrose is just sugar water. So I started doing that in the ER. And and simultaneously, like I'm on my own healing journey, and I'm like, that like one doctor finally was like, you know, like, like what? Tell me about your life, basically. And I'm like, oh, like what do you mean? And I'm thinking, like I exercise a lot, like, and I eat relatively healthy. I'm thinking, like I'm I'm healthy, I'm good, while I'm like doing night shifts and like literally like eating crap in the middle of the like. I mean, I was not doing healthy things, but he's like, well, that's why your knee won't heal. That's why it keeps blowing up. So then I was like, oh, and at this point I had dropped like, I don't know, like $20,000 probably on injections to help my knee, but no one, and, and, and maybe it was because I was a doctor. They were kind of like, you should know this basic stuff, but no one mentioned like, Hey, like your microbiome is probably all messed up from like bonking your head, skiing and mountain biking a bunch of times or, or, you know, traveling around the world and living in places and getting, you know, infectious diarrhea, et cetera, et cetera. So then I, I was like, okay, like I can't like, for myself, I need to dig into these things, which I started to do. I started to see a functional medicine doctor myself. And then I was like, I need to learn, how, like I need to learn this stuff myself in order to help people better. I was doing these injections in the ER and people were like, people were like, awesome. Like, where can I, they were calling them sugar shots. They were like, where can I get, was like, they would come in and be like, is a sugar shot doctor here? And <laughs> And, uh, and then, you know, I would like, if that's they, great branding, actually, I know, people right? love sugar. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so then they would like the, you know, they would come, they would find out when I was working, they would come on my shifts. Other hospitals actually like banned me from doing sugar shots. It, it started to cause some problems for sure, because people didn't understand what I was doing. And then the patients were like, Hey, where can I get this done when you're not here? And I was like, Oh, there's not really anyone doing this around here. So, so then I started doing sugar shots out of our house and just, and I was in Wyoming. So it was pretty like Wyoming has pretty liberal laws around that. So I would just like, when I wasn't working, I would do some of these injections there. And then, and then that's, that's kind of like how I started boost really was like, to, to provide these treatments for people who are looking to get them continued out of the ER. And then the more I dug into it, the more I was like, if I'm doing injections, I think of injections as like planting seeds. And I'm like, if I'm planting seeds without addressing the, uh, the soil, like if you're planting seeds in the desert, they're not going to grow. So this is kind of how st stuff really started to merge. I was like, oh, like in order to like get the soil healthy, it's like, you know, microbiome, nervous system, but also all the energetic stuff. So like craniosacral therapy, and then it moved into like, you know, psychedelics and, and really like everything just started to merge over the past couple of years and really just even more so, yeah, probably the last two years where it's like, oh, all these things that I had been studying separate, like spirituality, energy, all that stuff, it all, of course, of course, you need all those things to get the body in balance. So mm. that's how they merged. Yeah, it's so <laughs> fascinating. And I want to just really celebrate you for 
one, your capacity and your intellect and your drive and your, because not everyone has capacity to have a chemical engineering degree mm -hmm. and do an allopathic medical degree and then keep going and not be totally burned out and fatigued and indoctrinated of what right or wrong or should or shouldn't is, but still have the capacity to be curious and creative enough to heal your own body. And then the bravery that it takes to go outside of a system that you've now fully indoctrinated yourself in and be willing to shift things from the inside out. And then and then also the bravery that it takes just to start your own business. And I know that you have big, big dreams of Starling Healing Centers all over the world, doing these like full modalities and you know, having worked together with you, like both with you facilitating medicine on our retreats and then as my doctor, like treating me um, in certain areas, this concept of if I'm just planting seeds in soil that can't handle it, putting se tossing seeds out in the desert, pointless, putting um, some singular treatment inside of a body that is incredibly inflamed from sugar, alcohol, stress, um, that is... It's one, a bit of waste of time, possibly a waste of money. Yes. And you even said like borderline unethical. Yeah. Like for me to take someone's money to treat someone if they're not actually treating the holistic system, I know this injection is not going to really do any good. Yeah. And I really appreciated your integrity in that. And just to catch people up, you said that I will treat someone if they're not willing to do the work, but only after I have given them full lay of the land. Like, I'll do this, but I don't think it's going to do any good unless you integrate and heal the whole system. And I really appreciate you giving people the opportunity to consent to that. Yeah, 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 Versus totally. Just, you know, taking their money. Yeah. So can you explain to us, because my limited understanding from studying Ayurveda is that when the body gets hot, like when in Ayurveda we talk about it as pitta or yeah. fire or yeah, yeah. heat, which is really just inflammation, which is acid. Yeah. And I talk all the time about adrenaline and cortisol, which are stress hormones, which are inherently acidic in nature, which yeah. increases inflammation, heats up the body. And so can you speak to like what would make fertile soil for these regenerative treatments to work? And what is the thing that's making us so inflamed that keeps these regenerative treatments from working? Yeah, yeah, such a good question. And I think like, so integrative medicine is the umbrella under which all healing modalities with evidence lie. So under integrative medicine is Ayurvedic medicine, energy healing, like everything, conventional medicine, like how I'm trained, allopathic medicine. And so what we do with integrative medicine, I'm board certified in integrative medicine. And it's, it's kind of a, my, my sense is almost no one really understands what integrative medicine is. Since I ask people, I think there's probably 4,000 doctors right now that are board certified in it. And, and, but most people don't understand what it is. A lot of practice, like, and it's being used kind of wild westy. So people will, you know, like a, a, maybe a medical doctor has a practice and they have a massage therapist there and they call themselves an integrative practice, which is very different from someone who, like what I studied in my two-year fellowship is the evidence for using all the different healing modalities to get the body in balance through the lens of like, what are all the different modalities? And then what are the conditions and what's the evidence for those particular conditions in all parts of the body? So, so you can just give us like a real life example of that. Someone walks in, what are you testing? What are you looking for? Yeah. So like, let's say someone comes in with rheumatoid arthritis, right? So which is inflammation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's an uh, autoimmune disease. So, uh, you know, autoimmunity, the autoimmune diseases, there's tons of them, like multiple sclerosis, celiac disease, Hashimoto's, there's a million, right? And so to me, 
they, they all have a name. Um, and it basically just means it, the, to me, it's, it's just that the immune system is sideways and our immune system is attacking ourselves. And we know that if someone has one autoimmune condition, they're three times more likely to have another. And, and when the way I look at it is if someone, someone gets diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, if I diagnose someone with an autoimmune disease, I'm like, this is amazing information because like we know, like this helps to helps us to see like what's happening with your body. Why is it out of balance? And I bet if I did like a really deep dive on on what's happening in their body, I could probably find another autoimmune disease in them. But who cares? Like to, like those are just labels. And we and in allopath and it's it's part of it is like we need these diagnostic codes to then get like treatments approved to then get insurance to cover it in our insurance based model. And and so, but it doesn't like it doesn't really matter. It's like it's kind of like our psychiatric diagnoses as well. Like we put people in these boxes, but really, I just look at it as like the body is out of balance. So so to answer your question, like the way I look at it, big picture is like imagine your body, like your biologic systems capacity is like a big bathtub, and this includes like your immune system, your reproductive system, your uh, cardiovascular system, like all your systems, your neurologic system, like that's your bathtub. And then imagine that the water coming into the bathtub is all of the internal and external stressors that are coming into your life. So that could be stress. I could be like, I didn't get sleep last night. Like, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. It could also be stress like I just got an infection. It could also be stress like my microbiome's been messed up since I was born because I got my microbiome from my mom. Like Taking a flight. Yes. Eating food that isn't food. Yes, mm-hmm. 100%. And all the work you do around meditating, like that is like a great way to like de-stress, right? So I look at the 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 drain in the bathtub as as kind of like the detox or like how do we get rid of the stressors and meditating is a great way but lots of other ways to to kind of get rid of the stress as well so as long as our bathtub is big enough to handle all of the stressors coming in and the drain is moving well enough and the bathtub's not overflowing we're pretty much in balance and we don't have symptoms as soon as the bathtub starts overflowing then we get symptoms. So in terms of like, how do I look at like getting the body in balance in order to, you know, before I put any sort of product in, like before I do PRP or something like that to help the body heal, it's all about, I I look at it more holistically. And so it's not like, I don't look at like, oh, like you have this rash. Great. Like in conventional medicine, when I worked in the ER for years, someone comes in for, with a rash, you know, we're like, okay, it's probably either bacterial or fungal or autoimmune. So we throw like steroids to hit the autoimmune. We throw like antifungals to hit that. And then we antibiotics hit the bacterial. So we give them like all all three three things. Yeah. A lot of times. And then we're like, if it doesn't get better, come back, which is like, it's insanity. I probably have like a big karmic debt from the amount of like opiates and all sorts of things that I- I'm pretty sure you've cleared it by now. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) But But that's just like, that's how we're taught, you know? And it's not like, that's not malpractice. Like- that's just exactly how like our system teaches us. But the thing I want to highlight there is that if you're trying, if you don't know what it is, and there's three potential causes for that rash, and then you treat all three simultaneously, then you have no information on the underlying cause. A hundred percent. And so it's like if at least if you were to treat one at a time, you could do process of elimination. Yeah. And this is why I love Ayurveda so much, which is you know Ayurveda is just like the ancient Indian name for functional medicine. It's just looking at the body as a holistic system. But like to go on the bathtub analogy. What the what I love about Ayurveda is that I I was taught it as a propeller. 
that you look at your body like a three-pronged propeller and you have vata, pitta, and kapha, which is like the names for the elements. So pitta is fire, kapha is earth and water, vata is air and space. And usually if you get a symptom... Right, like say I'm vata dominant, so when I get a symptom, I talk, that's why I talk so fast. <laughs> we were talking about how like this is the only podcast you can listen on regular speed and not 1.5. <laughs> um, but if I get a symptom, it means that one prong of the propeller is propping up, and and so in allopathic medicine, it's like we would oh this this propeller is propped up, the vata is exacerbated, so I'm going to give you like a downer to calm you down and slow you down, and I'm going to put a brick on one prong of the propeller. When actually the reason why the vata got inflamed is because there was a depression in the other two propellers. Yep. And so in, in integrative medicine and in Ayurvedic medicine, we go to bring the whole thing back to balance. And rather than just putting a bunch of bricks on the propellers and then it doesn't even go anymore, we instead look at why is it in out of balance to begin with. And I know, I mean, you did the most exhaustive treatment and testing on me that I've ever been through. I mean, I went into the, the lab to pull blood and he was like, you're going to need a snack after this. <laughs> it's like 27 <laughs> vials of blood, you know, hundreds of different tests and, and so many questions. I mean, I filled out like a hundred questionnaires of was I born vaginally or through C-section? Have I ever had a miscarriage? What am I, when's the last time I had gluten? And I was like, wow, like just the exhaustive nature of what you're looking at to detect one, what's the size of the bathtub? How quickly is that stress being poured into the bathtub? And is the drain clogged that's letting the stress out of the bathtub? So what happens when someone's bathtub is full? Yeah, like it, it, COVID has given us like this amazing, I mean, amazing opportunity to see because so many of us are walking around with our bathtubs almost totally full and, and we don't know, right. You know, we're like, most people are kind of like, like I think of I'm fine. like, it's yeah, exactly. Like no I'm one's fine. fine. Right. I went like, through COVID and yeah, I went through a divorce yeah, totally. and I'm fine. <laughs> and I'm fine. And everything's fine. Yeah. And just like, and, and like we put on social media, everything looks fine. And, and so we think everyone else is fine, but really like no one's fine right now, unfortunately. Mm. And so like, you know, a lot of people had like microbiome imbalances and, and like we, you know, talking about vata, pata, vata, vata, pitta, kapha and, and traditional Chinese medicine as well. Like we implement that as well. So we'll say like, you know, we have like handouts on like how to optimize your diet if you're vata, if you're pitta, if you're kapha. Cool. And so we're bringing in all these things, but you know, if someone, let's say someone has like you know, they're pitta and they're eating a lot of spicy foods and they're living in a really hot spot and they're, which I'm pitta and I have done that and it's, and I get really irritable. Angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have to go like dip myself in the river. I'm like, now I understand. I'm Eat like, a cucumber. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm like, like, let me just go cool myself off like literally and then I'll be better. But mm -hmm. like, if you've got, you know, if you've got microbiome, if you've got toxins, like unfortunately all of us are exposed to so much stuff now. Like if you think of how long humans have been around as like, the length of a football field that we're in where we are now with like, I mean, look at where we are right now. We're like, we're in this like building with like lights on us with like EMF all around. And like, and we're, you know, we're doing a good job of like trying to drink water without it's spring water. It's fresh it's, spring water yeah. out of glass. Yeah. yeah. And there's like eight different machines <laughs> yeah. in here with artificial light totally. and brand new carpet. Yeah. So Which we're, we're like off gassing a bunch of stuff from the carpets and, and like, you know, we're barefoot. So high fives for that. But like, but then just the toxins go directly through <laughs> yeah. our skin into yeah. our feet. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's almost impossible. Like, I mean, there are some people I think that have the privilege to like 
live off the grid. And, and, you know, people will talk about like, we don't need to do all these, like, you don't have to use these gadgets. We don't have to do all these tests. You don't have to do all these treatments. Just like live off the grid and live like our ancestors did. Well, yeah, I would love to do that. And like probably most people would, and it's just not reasonable. Like if you're like, most people don't have the resources to be able to move somewhere off the grid like where there's natural spring water away from EMF, away from all the gadgets and like amazing for the people that can. And of course your body's going to get into balance faster, mm-hmm. but for most of us, that's but not even the case. then the soil is still depleted. Like yeah. the nutrients aren't in the soil. So the food is less, less nutritious. So you're likely going to need supplementation, even if you're yeah. living off the grid. Totally. And, mm-hmm. and like everyone who's studying this stuff, like, you know, like we're, we're in this, Era, era right now where we can really like I think we're going to start seeing people live to be like freakishly old compared to what we thought like previously. what's your prediction how do you think I'm going to live 44 <laughs> you're, you're going to live to be at least 150 great <laughs> I was thinking 120 but yeah, I'll go, 150. go for 150 but yeah. you know what's interesting about that I don't know if you've heard this like if you ask like 100 men and 100 women how old do you want to be guess guess what guess Guess the difference. Like their ideal diet. Yeah. Like if you, yeah. Or if you're like, hey, like if you ask 100 women, like, how old do you want to be? Like, do you want to live to be 200 versus men? This is super interesting to me, I think. I have no idea. Like, I'm assuming women would say they want to live longer. No. No. It's totally the opposite. Really? Yeah. So, like, men. So, and when I heard this, it was sort of like if you ask like 100 men and 100 women, like, if they want to have kids, actually, more men will say that. Which, but we think, I think, as a society. But what's the difference? What do women say? What do men say? Well, yeah, exactly. Because I think, like, for women, women are the caretakers, right? So women are like caring for everyone. And so women are like, I don't like, I want to live old enough to make sure my kids and my grandkids are okay. And then like, I'm out. Yeah. And then like, I don't want to take care of everyone anymore. And men are like, I want to live as long as I can. I want to live for, I mean, it's so interesting. Wow. Um, And I, and I've, when I, I heard that from, I think, I don't know if it was David Sinclair or someone was talking about that. And then I started asking people and it's true. Like in my little, you know, end of however yeah. many people I've asked. I don't feel like that, but I love my life. Like I, yeah. I have a great life. So I'm yeah. going to keep rocking it as long <laughs> as I can. Yeah. And of course, like there's exceptions to that. But if you think of like your average, like your, like just like your average woman who in general, like these days is like working and doing a lot of the domestic, like, labor. domestic stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. I think like, like David Sinclair would argue like like aging like we can pretty much like st- stop aging in many ways and mm-hmm. and there's lots of really smart people that are studying mm-hmm. these things and 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 we have all these gadgets now that can also like charge up our cells and 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 kind of help to reverse aging and help to keep us like as young as possible and we have these measures where we can measure biologic age versus chronologic age and we can do What's these yours? Mine, I, I just tested it recently. It's 41 and I'm 47, but I'm aiming for like 30. So that's great. <laughs> I love that. You're 47. If, just in case you're watching the or listening to the audio, like Allison, you look definitely like late 30s. You oh, don't look 47. Thank you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'd love to hear you talk about um, the, like, if you've ever studied meditation and how it can reverse body age. Because yes. the stuff I've read is that it's somewhere between eight and 15 years, depending on which study you're looking at. Yes. But this seems to be very akin to the bathtub analogy. Yeah, totally. So like back to the bathtub and back to the meditation. So like 
bathtub overflows, we feel we don't feel good. In COVID, we saw people with full bathtubs, then they get COVID, it overflows all sorts of symptoms, autoimmunity, heart attacks, stroke, like you name it. Like basically anything where like we're not healthy anymore, we're in dis-ease. So things like meditation, uh, and, and we do we do treatments that are kind of like that help to get the nervous system in balance fast. And the way the combination that we do is like we can do something like a that's called a stellate ganglion block, which is it's an injection in the neck. It's an autonomic nervous system reboot. So it reboots the nervous system so that we're more in parasympathetic, which meditation, what, what's that doing? It's bringing us more into parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. If we, you know, certainly if we, if we can meditate for 10,000 hours, our nervous systems are going to be way healthier. Like, I mean, you, that, this is like what you teach every day and, and all day. And I, I don't know if I've shared this with you, like a few years ago, when I first went through your program, I was like, this is like the easiest onboarding ramp. And so I share that with patients all the time, Ziva, because, you know, people are like, the number of people that are like, I can't meditate, you know, and you know this more than me. But well, I just like to, so what made you start Ziva and what was your experience? Like, how did it impact your body, your mental health? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I had been like doing all sorts of different types of meditation for years and, and actually was a friend of mine who was helping with the clinic that I had in Moab, I don't know how she heard about you, but she heard about you and she was like, hey, have you checked out Ziva? Like, check out Ziva. So I'm I'm kind of a like try everything at least three times Hmm. before I would say like, I don't believe in it. Like mm-hmm. I, I always jump in and try things and, and I, yeah, I did it. And I was like, this is amazing. This is like e- the easiest onboarding ramp for meditation of like any meditation that I found. And I like mm-hmm. got my whole staff Ziva yes. and like my family. And I think my, I think like lots of them are still doing Ziva diligently twice yes. a day. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited to talk in a moment about how you're starting to prescribe that people tap into their sexual energy and their creation yeah. energy as a healing tool and to manifest their healing outcomes that they would like. Yes. Um, but I know you just mentioned something called stellate ganglion block. And yeah. just because I know a bunch of my friends and a bunch of the people who are in our mastermind yeah. evidence of magic came on your last retreat. Yep. And a lot of them did this stellate ganglion block. And is I was going to ask you if there was one treatment that you could have everyone do, is that it? Would you have everyone do stellate ganglion? Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And I, and like out of all of the different different treatments that I've done in my career, it packs the most punch. And it's literally like a five minute procedure. And the way I look at it is like, if you, you know, when you have your computer and you have too many apps open, you get that spinning wheel of death. Mm -hmm. And then like, what's your move? Like your computer's frozen. What's your move? I mean, for me, I just probably do something else and then come back. <laughs> and hope that, and just hope, like, let's say you do something else and you come back and it's still like, you still get that oh, rainbow. Oh, well, then I have to like turn the computer off. Yeah. Like yeah. a hard reboot, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's funny the things people say. Some people are like, I like throw it out or like, or like I walk away. I make a snack. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like I get a new computer. <laughs> I punch the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Take, take a pleasure practice break, <laughs> yeah. come back, it's yeah. still spinning. <laughs> One thing that I've learned recently actually is grounding my devices. I, you told me this. I was like, oh, she's a full witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So that, that's actually what I would do first now is like just imagine a grounding cord. And I say this to patients now, like if they're, cause if we're doing a telemedicine appointment and, and 
they're having, they're not, their, their connectivity is bad. I'm like, yeah, we're going to ground your device and people seem okay with it. <laughs> yeah. People are getting a lot more witchy. People, yeah. I, I think that COVID was like a, um, like a near death experience for almost the whole world. Like we had to face our own mortality yeah. collectively in a way that we never have before yeah. in our generation. Yeah. And I feel like that either wakes people up or really stresses them out. And the people who are waking up, I think are much more open to trying more quote unquote out there stuff. Yeah. Like my dad was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer oh. when I was 24. He was only 58. Mm. And he like, you know, Southern drinker, yeah. worked at the state of Florida, like not into any of this stuff. And this was like in the like early, early 2000s. Yeah. And like this man is never drinking a green juice. He's <laughs> never getting on like a Japanese radiation machine. He's not taking supplements. And because it was like, you have a 24 centimeter tumor in your liver. He was like, great, give me all the green juice. Give me all of the treatments. And I was ordering machines from Japan. And this is when I actually got into like holistic medicine is that I just, in 48 hours, I just consumed as much as I could to become a makeshift cancer nutritionist. Because oh, at the time amazing. we like went to this cancer center and I was like, they basically sent him home to die. And I was like, can we just talk to the um, nutritionist here? And we go, we speak to a nutritionist at a cancer center. They send us home with a six pack of Insure. <laughs> Insure is sugar water, y'all. Sugar is pouring gasoline on the fire that is cancer. And that, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> we have a very big problem in our system. Yeah. And I actually was looking into becoming a naturopathic doctor. I was like, mm. what? what is the modality here? But for me, then I, very shortly after I found therapy and then meditation. But anyway, it's just, I'm just so grateful to you having like already been a doctor and then using these modalities to heal yourself. So what the heck is a stellate mm, ganglion you're block? You're so good at like, at like reeling me back in. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going there too. <laughs> so, so back to the like reboot of the computer. So you reboot the computer and then it closes all the unnecessary apps and then your computer works better, right? Mm -hmm. However, if you then start like opening a million apps again, what's going to happen? It'll slow back down. It's going to slow back down, freeze again. So basically the stellate is like the reboot of your autonomic nervous system. And uh, your autonomic nervous system is, is your, it's your parasympathetic system, your sympathetic system. It's basically all the things that your body's doing that you're not conscious of. And, the, and we're, you know, we're now realizing that actually we do have more control over a lot of our autonomic functions than we used to think. And that's like, you know, Wim Hof, like that's a whole, that's another podcast. But, but if you look at like br breath work, for example, like breathing, like w you and I are not really thinking about our breath right now, but we're breathing, but we could also start doing conscious breath work. So like breath work is a real nice, like convergence of autonomic, um, and conscious nervous system. By rebooting our autonomic nervous system, it's it's like closing all the apps and things work better. So most people, because of the, what, the world that we live in, have our sympathetic nervous system really upregulated and our parasympathetic not as regulated as it, or not and as- And just which is which again? Yeah. So sympathetic is like flight, fight, freeze, fawn. Parasympathetic is like rest and digest. So like we want to, like what all of your work with meditation, everything, it's like getting our bodies into parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. If I, I do stay in play, yeah, we fight and flight, we got stay in play. Oh, I love it. That's mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should add the play in. That's good. So when you're in, you know, when you're, when you get the stellate and things get in balance, if you're doing things like meditation, then it stays in balance longer. 
if if you're meditating but you're like a Navy SEAL, which I've treated lots of special forces people, first responders, et cetera, if you're still in it, you might need to keep getting the stellate ganglion blocks. If if like the reason you're out of balance is from a trauma many years ago, like lots of us have like childhood trauma just all sorts of traumas throughout our life, like accidents, et cetera. So if like my nervous system's out of balance because of all the stuff that I saw and did in the ER, but now I don't have that anymore, I can get the block, I get balanced, and then I keep doing things like meditation, mindfulness, et cetera, to keep it in balance. But you know, I think of it as like 10,000 hours of meditation in a five-minute procedure in terms of the impact on your nervous system. Hold, please. <laughs> you think a stellate ganglion block is resetting the nervous system in a way that it is equivalent to 10,000 hours of meditation? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And, and they've, you know, like we're getting more and more studies on it. Like the, historically, stellate ganglion blocks were done for complex regional pain syndrome. So it's basically the stellate ganglion is a group of nerves that that are basically the sympathetic nervous system nerves. And ganglion just means like a group. So it's like a group of nerves in the neck. Um, and then the vagus nerve, longest nerve in the body, it connects the central nervous system to the enteric nervous system, which is the gut nervous system. So we block both of them and basically reboot both of those. Yeah, block sounds scary. It does. <laughs> I know. I, you know. So I did a really good job of scrambling my nervous system from my living my life for many years. I've gotten eight of them. <laughs> so, wow. And like in a bunch of them, I was getting when I was still working in the ER. But it's it's uh, I, it's ultrasound guided. We were talking about that before in terms of making sure that we can see where we're putting the needle. So historically, the blocks were done using fluoroscopy. Fluoroscopy is is basically like X-ray that you're you're doing at live time. So like you're watching the needle with the mm. X-ray. You can't see vessels that way. So our necks, like we've got a lot of expensive real estate in our necks, right? Like we've got like big vessels that go to our brain. Like our cervical spine has all these nerves coming out that controls all sorts of things on our body. So like I cannot imagine doing a stellate ganglion block without ultrasound because ultrasound, I can see the nerves. I can see the vessels. I can make sure that I'm putting the, I can see the needle live time, make sure that it's going in the fascial plane. We talked before about the fascial plane is where the nerves live. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing the stellate, we put the medicine into the fascial plane where that ganglion lives. Um, and tell me again what a ganglion is. Ganglion is a group of nerves. Okay. Yeah. So like like the, what we're doing effectively is blocking those nerves. So we're freezing them for about six hours. So it's like, you know, like when you hard reboot your computer, you have to hold it down mm-hmm. to like if it's really frozen and do that hard reboot. It's kind of like that for the nervous system. Okay. And it's, I mean, I've done thousands of these at this point and it is remarkable to see like people will say like, oh my gosh, I did not know I could feel this way. Because wow. their nervous systems have been so out of balance for so long. And then are they just like sleeping in that six hours or laying down or what happens? Yeah. I, now I recommend that. So like the first one that I got, I was working in a, I was working in an office and the doctor was like, oh, you're an ER doctor? Like, like you, and I, he was one of my mentors and he's like, you should get a stellate. And I was like, great. What's a stellate? So I'm like, sign me up. I'm <laughs> like I said, I'm kind of a like, try it. Yeah. Like, let me, like, I, I'm a real kinesthetic learner. Mm-hmm. So he did it on me. And then, and after, so after like your pupil gets small, your eyelid gets droopy, the white of your eye turns pink, you get congested on this side, you lose your ability to speak and swallow. So Sounds fun. It kind of feels <laughs> like you're having a stroke or oh, something. Oh God. And he was kind of like, 
he was like, okay, like, yeah, you're good to drive. And I was like, this does not feel safe. Like one time I drove from LA to San Diego after Stella, like terrible idea. So now like, you know, again, I, my body is like my biggest teacher for, for what I do with, with patients. So, so I like, I don't think it's safe to drive after. So I have, I have patients like sleep as much as possible so they can hang out at the office, lie on the PEMF machine, which is, it's basically like a charger for your cells. And then I, I recommend that they just go home and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Definitely no, like no activation. So Anything that you do that's going to ramp up your sympathetic nervous system, like stimulants, doing th something that's like scary, even like blue light, that's going to stimulate your nervous system. So like any of those things, it's like opening up more apps on the computer. Mm -hmm. And can you share some transformations that you've seen in people's <coughs> brains or bodies after doing it? Yeah, yeah, it's well, so it's this, depending on where people are. So I, I was starting to mention that initially it was used for complex regional pain syndrome. And then probably over the past 15 years or so, there have been some real innovators that have realized like this is helpful for PTSD. So that's kind of really like what it's officially being used for now. And it's also like wherever you are, like wherever you are along the spectrum. So say you've got like significant PTSD, you can't get out of bed that's going to help you to like get out of bed and like mm -hmm. see the world as a lighter place. Say you're just, you're like, you know, you're like me, you're like living your life. You're not like, you're not like a high end athlete, but you're also like not stuck in bed. It helps with like cognition. It helps with um, memory. It helps with performance, like, you know, just like weekend warrior performance. And then like professional athletes will use it. It improves like shooting accuracy. A lot where I, a lot of the athletes that I see are, skiers, mountain bikers, and they'll say that like they could ski or mountain bike lines like that they haven't been able to do before. So, so mm -hmm. lots of like little stories like that. And then like profound stories where like, I would say about a third of the people that I do stellates on have like a really profound experience in the office. And then two thirds, it's like a third of them they'll notice over time. So it might be something like Oh wow! Like I normally would have gotten worked up by that, but I but I didn't. Like I normally would have road rage in this situation, but I don't. And then a third of people, a third of people, it's like they don't really notice, but their partners, their family members, or colleagues do. Mm. So there's that whole range. But in terms of like really like profound changes, like and I've done the youngest kid that I've done one on is an eight year old. And I have done them on 80-something-year-olds. I don't think any 90-year-olds. But, but you know, I've had people, that, like many people, that, like, it's completely changed their lives. Like, from, like, like basically being dysfunctional at, at whatever age um, and, and, like, kind of have lost their life to, like, like the, so many people have said, like I, like, I feel like this gave me my life back and mm. I didn't know I could feel this way. Wow. So... With a stellate ganglion, or let's just pull the lens back to regenerative medicine, why isn't everyone doing this? <laughs> yeah, such a good question, and that's like that's like the that's like the insanity that like makes me pull out my hair sometimes. And I think like what what I didn't realize fully when I signed up for doing this is like no one knows about this, right? So I think that's one of the reasons. But why don't they know about yeah. it? Yeah, well, I think, so from, if you look at like, from the time that like the super smart, like, you know, PhD scientists discover something to the time that the medical doctors adopt it is like on average 20 years. Oh God. Yeah, 
Right. So like the scientists are like, oh my God, like you doctors, like, why can't you like, you know, like, why can't you like adopt, like, why can't you see these things? This, it's like the Titanic moving. And then from the time that like your average, you know, medical doctor adopts something to the time that the, the average population knows about it is like another 20 years. Wow. So, and then by then, of course, the scientists have like learned new things and the, so it's like, it's like antibiotics, right? Like we grew up in a time that like you got, like, I don't know about you. I got like so many antibiotics for viruses growing up. I think like everyone that grew, that like were kids in like the seventies and eighties got like so many antibiotics and it was like magical, like antibiotics fix everything. And it screwed up all of our microbiomes. And now we realize, and, but at the time, I'm sure that there were people screaming at the top of their lungs, like, no, antibiotics are bad. Or like, or the food pyramid, right? The standard American diet. Starches and breads yeah. and grains and cereals. Yeah, like low-fat milk and like, you know. Like, Remember snack wells? Yeah. <laughs> Just like <laughs> low-fat yeah. cookies. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. Low-fat Triscuits. Yeah. I had this like candy jar, this Lance <laughs> candy jar on top of my refrigerator. I remember I'd come home from school and it'd be filled with oatmeal cream, little Debbie oatmeal cream pies and just like sugar and hydrogenated oil. And I would eat an oatmeal cream pie and then I would drink an orange juice for an after school snack. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then I would get sick and I would take <laughs> antibiotics and I would have not only Pop-Tarts, but toaster pastry strudels yes. with the icing that you would heat up in the plastic in the <laughs> microwave for breakfast like it's a miracle that I'm even alive right now totally totally. (laughs) yeah I mean humans are so resilient I say that almost every day I'm like it is a miracle I'm alive (laughs) but like so many like and and like and I was doing like some good things you know like and I I was actually trying to do the right thing like humans are incredibly resilient but I think to answer your question of like why isn't everyone doing this like it's not in the universal consciousness yet like I think part of like the lift of like you know, what you and I are both doing is like trying to like trying to get people to know that this exists. Like the, like every single day I have conversations with people, patients or otherwise, who, who, who are kind of like, why don't I know about this? Like, how have I not heard about this? And then the other thing is like in terms of the spec, like from when things get discovered to when they're mainstream, there's a lot of regulations around it. So like doctors in particular are pretty conservative and, and my, you know, my training super conventional, like I know this from being like in it for years. And, and I tell, I tell patients and people almost every day that like, as I'm, as I'm saying things to them, I'm like, if you recorded me and showed me a recording of myself now, like if you showed me this recording to myself six years ago, I would be like, what, like who abducted me? Like what happened? Six years ago. Yeah. Wow. Like, probably like, Yeah. That's a big yeah, transformation. I bet. Yeah. Or maybe maybe a little more than, but put around that, like six or seven years, like not that long. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, so, so it's like, and, and you ask, like, you know, kind of like, why aren't more doctors doing this or like, or, or kind of commenting on, like, hey, I've done all this extra training. And I tell, like, a lot of my friends, I have like all these brilliant allopathic doctor friends who, who know that, like, I'm onto something. Like, like they know, like, and they're kind of like, they're like, I don't. don't." Also, they have eyeballs. They can see you. Well, they can see, but they're also kind of like this. They're like, oh my God, if what you're telling me is true. And I had to swallow like a huge pill, right? To be in like all the doctors doing this that were trained allopathically. Like we basically had to acknowledge that we spent all this time and energy and money learning and studying all these things that in large part are not correct. So it's just sort of like, 
you know, when we all were eating like low fat, high carb diets, thinking it was good. And then like shifting that, like, it's like many of the things that I learned in my conventional training, like as I started to go down this path, I had to like, I had to realize like, oh my God, I put so much time and effort into this and it's wrong and just let it go. And I don't have kids. I think that's like a huge thing, right? Like when you have, when you're like, you've gone through a million years of education, like most of my, to be an ER doc, it's like eight, nine, 10 years of education to get there. So you've done all these years of education, any sort of like allopathic doctor after residency, you feel like, okay, I just did, I just like, I went through the ringer to get to this place where I just want to live my life. Yeah. But, and it's also like, okay, if these things are true, how could I have just done this like training at one of the best institutions in the world and not know this? Right. But it sounds to me like they're not totally mutually exclusive. Like if I get into a car accident, like please take me directly to the hospital. Yeah. You know, it's not like Western medicine is bad or wrong. It just sounds like we're not looking at the whole picture. I mean, heard on the amount of humility and ego that has to die to realize that anything that you just spent 10 years and hundreds of thousands of dollars on is not the pristine gold standard. But it doesn't sound like we're dealing with two totally separate parts of the Venn diagram. No. And that's like where, that's like a perfect way of putting it. Like that's where integrative medicine is so perfect, right? Like we're using, like conventional medicine is amazing. Like, and I, you know, like I, in, in addition to like, being present when many people crossed over, like I also was present when we saved many, many lives. And, and so like emergency medicine, amazing for like saving people's lives. Like when, when traumas happen, when we get super sick, when the bathtub is so overflowing that we're like literally about to die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's not very good for like keeping the bathtub from overflowing. Right. And how much of that, and you know, if we don't want to go here, we don't have to, but (laughs) how much of that is economically motivated? Like people make insurance companies, medical device companies, pharma companies make a lot more money from people whose bathtubs are overflowing and who are chronically sick and inflamed. They're just more, they're better patients. They're better clients. They're better customers. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of this is like straight up on purpose? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. And, And I think like for sure capitalism plays a role in this. And like in med school, I mean, they start like they really start like brainwashing us from a very young age. Like in med school, we we got like meals sponsored by big pharma all the time, you know? So in like, you know, you're like a poor 20 something year old in med school and you're psyched. It's like, great, they're getting us like Chipotle and I can eat my burrito and watch this lecture. All you have to do is like watch this lecture on something. And I think, I believe they have since made that illegal because it's obviously like, it's like literally brainwashing. And they used to pay doctor, like, like big pharma would be like, if you sell, you know, X amount of our drugs, we will, we'll, we'll send you and your family on a vacation to wherever. Like there, there were like real incentives. I'm sure that that's still happening on some level, but I think like the laws are that that's not overtly legal. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really it's really hard to 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 like separate out like what's happening with our psyche, right? So I think of like in the conventional model, there's uh, there's RVU models where like doctors are actually paid based on how much money they generate for the system, right? So what system for like the hospital? So like when I was working at an as an and what's e- RVU mean? It's uh, I think it's revenue value units. It's basically like you get. Yeah, like your pay, it's almost like commission, but it's not. It's like your pay. Kickbacks. Um, yeah, 100%. So like 
a lot of doctors, I, I didn't like, you don't learn, or I didn't learn this at least in med school and residency. It wasn't until I got out and I was working as an ER doctor that I was like, this is messed up. So like if let's say that like my pay, you know, for every um, procedure that I do. So the way our, this, the billing system works uh, in this country is that procedures reimburse more. And so like during COVID, for example, we had, I don't know if you heard of all the elective procedures that couldn't be done in hospitals because, oh, right. because like, they were elective. They weren't, you know, they weren't. I want to get a mole removed. Yeah. I'm getting a nose job. Or, totally. Yeah. And hospitals were losing tons of money because those elective procedures make a lot of money. So the, the whole like billing, like how things are reimbursed. Like when I, when I worked in, I worked in systems where, where I was reimbursed based on how much money I was generating. And I don't remember the numbers, but at some point, like I was looking at the sheet and I was like, oh my God, I get paid way more to reduce a shoulder than to like do CPR on someone, intubate them and do, and like literally save their life. Right. So like, like the procedures that are like a lot of the orthopedic procedures get reimbursed a lot. A lot of the like you know, like, like stitching up complicated lacerations, et cetera. But as ask any ER doctor, like the, the, what we're doing, that's really like intense and, and like requires like real focus is like the literal saving lives. Like when you're putting a breathing tube down someone, you're like, you're making like split second decisions that like, if you make the wrong decision, they're going to die. And if you make the right decision, you save their life. Like that to me should like that thinking should be reimbursed to me more than like me pulling on someone's shoulder and reducing it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not how our system works. So it sounds like if you're actually healing someone, certainly if you're healing them in an integrative, regenerative way where they're less likely to get sick again, they're less likely to have pain again, you as a doctor are being penalized monetarily because you're not making as much money either for the hospital or the pharma companies or the insurance companies. So the incentive structure is 100% backwards. You're being incentivized to keep people sick, to do more procedures versus financially incentivized by healing and doing your job of what likely most doctors went to school for was to become healers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that's like super confusing around it is like, it's not, it's, you know, it's sort of like this like dirty secret or something. Like, it's not like, like when I, when I sort of, and I, I, I don't know, like, I, I think like most doctors after doing it for a while kind of are onto the scent of what's happening, but certainly I would say the vast majority of doctors go into medical school because they are altruistic and want to try oh. and help people. And, and probably like they're trying to heal themselves if we're, if we're really honest with about it as well. But we get to this point where like, we have all these protocols and procedures and, and like, like how we're supposed to do things. And it's really hard to, to differentiate, like, like, where is this coming? So for like what, what I'm doing right now, it's interesting to me that like, you know, if you need a knee replacement that gets covered by insurance and it, you know, I don't know how much it is right now. Let's say it's 50 grand, like that will get covered by insurance. No problem. But to do injections, like releasing the nerves, hydro dissections that I talked about, like, you know, to get that, we didn't talk much about like all the stuff we get in balance, but getting the gut in balance, et cetera. We also do gut nervous system reboots, which is an inject injection rebooting the celiac plexus. Like none of that stuff is covered. So, so I get patients that come and they, they would much prefer to do like the preventative non-surgical, but insurance will cover the surgical. And I don't like, I don't think it's like no one's bad. It's not like someone's this, it's not like there's like this nefarious leader that's like, I'm, you know, 
I'm making these terrible decisions for humanity. I think it's back to like the Titanic ship, like, and, and it, so it just takes a long time to like get that consciousness out there to the, to the people who are making decisions. And the, and Andrew, have you heard of Andrew Weil? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, he was the founder of my integrative medicine fellowship and a, a, a huge part of the reason that he started the fellowship was really to get like a critical mass of doctors for advocacy and policy change, right? Mm. So, so like, who's going to make these changes? Really, like, if if doctors go to Washington and are like, "Hey, like this, like we need to change this model," if there's a critical mass of doctors saying that, at some point they're going to listen. Unfortunately, doctors in large part are super apolitical, right? Like, but also if they're being lobbied by pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies, right? Because when we overturn Citizens United, we can now like, like giant corporations can directly pay politicians. So it's like, how on earth would a group of doctors, unless they form their own super PAC, have any sort of legislative power? Yeah. I mean, and that's like the, pro that's like where we're at right now with mm -hmm. all this and like integrative medicine, like this approach, like I tell patients every day, I'm like, my goal is not for you to like be coming back and having to get a stellate every six months or having to get ketamine every six months or, you know, like having to do like 1 million gut protocols. Like my goal is to get your body in balance, your bathtub like low. And then I see you at the grocery store. I see, see you on the ski slope until like whatever, like you're living your life. So mm. like maybe they're out there and they go traveling and they get hurt and great. Then I want to see you again, mm -hmm. but I'm not trying to create this like revenue Repeat. model. And, yeah. and that's like, that's, challenging in our system. So like, it, so this, this model does not make money. Right. And so that's where we're running up against this problem of like, you know, to get like, to do our aspirational goals, which is like, let's get this out there to as many people around the world as possible and democratize it. Because like right now who can afford this type of care is people who can pay out of pocket because it's not covered. Which is another reason why everyone isn't doing it. Like why yeah. isn't everyone doing regenerative medicine? Well, it's not covered by insurance totally. and it's expensive AF. And they don't know about it. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at like, so I think probably only 1% of the population is, this is, this is what I tell people all the time. I think maybe 1% of the population is ready for our approach and probably only 10% of those people can pay for it. So that's like a really small percentage. And like, and back to like my doctor. 10% of the 1% can pay for yeah. it. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it's growing. Like maybe it's 2% now. I don't know, you know, and I'm just making up these numbers, but this is just from like my sense from having worked like really, and for a while it was kind of like when I was working in the ER, I was, I w had learned a lot of regenerative um, medicine. I was doing my functional and integrative medicine fellowship. So I was, I was starting to implement it and people are interested yeah. to a certain extent, but some people are not at all. So let's say that people, cause I still want to talk about, I'm going to just at least touch on psychedelics and sacred sexuality. Um, but let's say I'm a doctor listening to this. Let's say I am treating some sort of illness of my own and I do want to get started. I don't make $3 million a year. I can't pay out of top pocket. I can't afford a $20,000 treatment. Like what is one thing or two things that people could do right now that would be integrated that might help their pain, that might help them move in this direction or one thing they could ask their doctor for? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like there's so many things that can just move our body into parasympathetic. And I think in terms of like low hanging fruit, like that's what I always go for. And that's also what I share, like I teach patients all the time and I encourage them to, to do these things. It's all, a lot of the stuff is it's all stuff that you teach, right? Like, like breathing, like with like 
double your exhale time, you know, like two X breath. First thing we teach in Ziva online. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. all these things where it's like, like we have our body with us all the time. So, so anything that we can do with our body doesn't cost anything and it's with us all the time. So, Mm -hmm. so like breath work, you know, and like, just like intention setting, like we do intention setting a lot. And then like, and I have started bringing in like a lot of the pleasure, sacred sexuality as well. And, and that's been an interesting transition because like, that's been another like parallel course for me, right? I've been super interested in like Tantra, sacred sexuality for many years. I never thought I was going to, like I never in a million years would have thought that I was going to merge those. I have to say it was like a real dream come true (laughs) moment for me and a real like evidence of magic for me. So just to catch people up. So Allison and I met because you joined our, um, our beautiful first ever mastermind called evidence of magic, which is, let's just hear it for you being like (laughs) double board certified allopathic physician joining a mastermind called evidence of magic. (laughs) And then we went on this retreat in Costa Rica, which is like our initiation retreat um, called remember the future where we were basically like initiating people in all these sacred sexuality practices and teaching them how to use their most creative energy, which is their sexual energy to manifest their dreams. And you very gracefully and elegantly and safely and beautifully facilitated a ketamine journey with a sound healing. And I've never seen anything like it. Like the amount of individuation, the amount of screening and knowing people's microbiome and their saliva acidity and the the individual dosage that you gave to every person and then you put the ketamine in individual bags and wrote roomy quotes on the bags. It was so sweet. And we hired a Costa Rican doctor. So everything was above board. Everything was legal. And anyway, I was just so impressed with the way that you facilitated that. And But the, the dream come true moment for me was when you said that you are starting to not prescribe, but basically like recommend to your patients that they use their creation energy, that they use their sexual energy to manifest the healing outcome that they would love. And I was like, this, 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 like how do we get more, more doctors doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want to like, I mean, I just want to like honor you so much for doing everything that you're doing. When I heard the podcast with you last year, like talking about getting this out there, I was like, yes, this is exactly what we need. Because for years I've been like, okay, this energy is super powerful. Like I, you know, for healing, like not, I wasn't even thinking about for manifesting just for healing, but it's like, no one's talking about it. We're in this like super sexually repressed society. Like almost no one's studying it. Like, and it's like clearly like the most creative energy source in the, in the, on the planet. And so it's, it's, it's always been this like, how do, like, how do we, how do we talk about it? So I just like honor you and have so much reverence for everything that you're doing to like bring it in. So. Well, can you speak to that a little bit about like, what is happening in the body when we're in those orgasmic states? Like why is pleasure healing? Why would this creation energy or this sexual energy help us to manifest or to heal? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so interesting because I, like, I'm always, as you are dancing between like the 3D and the 5D, right? So like, and I think the way, like how I'm talking about this with patients is with everything really is both, but kind of still more rooted in the 3D. So on the 3D level, you know, we have neurotransmitters that make us feel good. Things like serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine, and orgasms release neurotransmitters that make us feel good. And for years, I mean, just like, like if you right now, if you like furrow, furrow at me and you're like, and you think of something like, you know, that you're like that I did or someone did and like, you'll feel like you'll actually feel in your body, like 
angry, right? And th- mm-hmm. those are neurotransmitters that make you feel bad. If you raise your eyebrows and you smile, right, then you're releasing like happy neurotransmitters. So for years in the ER- And Amy Cuddy did a TED talk on this. She talked about power poses. Like oh, yeah. You assume the pose of yeah, victory. Like the, you assume yeah, the like, pose of confidence. Yeah. It changes yeah. your biochemistry. Yes, mm-hmm. 100%. And so like in the ER for years, I have like- sort of pretended that I'm doing neuro exams on people to get them like feeling a little happier first. So I'll like walk in, I'll be, I just need to make sure everything's equal, raise your eyebrows and smile. And they'll do it if I ask them. If I was like, you look like you're having trouble, like I'm going to raise, you know, your neurotransmitters, they'd probably be like, no way. Like I, I definitely didn't have people like have orgasms in the ER. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, but you know, like we can see that like just, th- like just that right now, just raising your eyebrows and smiling shifts. And so when with orgasms, like you're releasing all these neurotransmitters, the the clitoris has ten thousand nerve endings, which is in in the only like like scientists have studied this, and there's no like the only purpose of the clitoris is pleasure that anyone's been able to find. So like there's something to that, right? So I've shared that with people. I'm like, we have this like we have this part of our body that is only designed for pleasure. Like it's like, we should probably use it. And, and those neurotransmitters, like in addition to help, like if we feel better, then like, it's kind of like we're raising our vibration on an energetic level. And then we're going to be able to do everything, heal better. Um, and just look at the world in a different way. And, and we can start to really go down like the 5d rabbit hole of like, like what we're thinking is kind of like, creating our reality. So if we're having negative thoughts, we're, we're much more likely to, to create a negative reality and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't usually, most people I don't go down that rabbit hole with, with most people, I just like, I start every appointment with asking people like, you know, Hey, if you could put in an order with the cosmic server for, and I, and I got that from you. So thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, for, th- you know, top three health outcomes in the next six months, like what, what would those be? And, you know, and, and we work on pointing it positive and, and all of that. And, and we, like some people have some resistance and I do this every appointment because it might change. And then over the past several months, I've started asking like, hey, do you want to know how you can supercharge your, your manifestations? And, and, you know, everyone says yes. And then I kind of go down this like, okay, what do you think is the most powerful creative energy in the universe? And like nine out of 10 people, you know, don't know. And then one out of 10 persons like sexual energy orgasms. And so I just, you know, I offer the idea of like pleasure prayer. So like when, you know, when they're at that peak level of, of orgasm and, mo- and most of us, like when we're at that peak level, we, that's when we feel one of the times when we feel most connected to like, di- like something greater than us to divinity. And there's other, you know, like I, I were, I live in the mountains. A lot of people will be like, well, I actually think when I'm on top of a peak that I feel that more, I'm like, great. Awesome. Like say your prayers then, you know, like it's not, it's not to say like, this is the only way, but you ha- like you, climbing a mountain is going to take a bunch of hours. Like having an or like having an orgasm doesn't take that long. So, so I, like I offer to people the idea of like, Hey, if you do this every day, if you like just, it takes like a minute to set the intention and think about what your dream is. I was or- going to be like, can you orgasm in one minute? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great circus trick. <laughs> okay. There's one minute to set the intention. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. It. Like, well, I, you mean, I just like when I go through it with them in the appointments, I'm like that, how long did that take? It took about a minute. So I'm like, you can do that twice a day, really just like, and, and I have them like really, you know, acted out like they're seeing someone six six months from now and they're like guess what like 
I put in this crazy order with this crazy doctor for like, you know, with the cosmic server and guess how I feel now. And then, and then I add on like, Hey, if you do, if you say those prayers right after an orgasm, that's like supercharging it. And, and like so far, I mean, it's been a few months so far. I haven't had anyone that has had any resistance to it. Like most people are like, I think they feel really like psyched to talk about sex and to talk about that energy because it's so taboo and especially like talk about it with the doctor and we have like so many tools that can help people to orgasm better including the stellate oh really yeah wait a minute the stellate (laughs) ganglion block can help people orgasm better yeah great yeah 100 percent. yeah Oh, well, this is so exciting. So I feel like we have to do a whole nother episode on psychedelics because, you know, again, it's it's such a big, burgeoning, exciting world where we're seeing Western medicine, where we're seeing more mainstream media, people who would be very skeptical before getting on board and being curious about the power of psychedelics, the power of transcending the small self, the power of using these ancient healing modalities to heal trauma, to manifest, to create community and and this has already been so rich and so beautiful. Is there anything else that you really want to share? Is there anything you're like, oh, I would be bummed if people didn't know about this Mm. before we wrap? Well, I think like I just want to re... We didn't get to talk about the microbiome too much. So I just like very briefly, Mm -hmm. we have this... Because this these were a couple like... A couple of the real mind-blowing like ahas for me as I shifted into this is we actually are made up more of bacteria than cells. I learned that when I was nursing. (laughs) I was like, breast milk is more (laughs) non-human like DNA than human DNA or something. That might be like the matter. Like the organic matter is more non-human than human. Yeah. I was like, What's in there? Yeah. And and so and then I was like, oh, so say that again about our microbiome. Yeah, like like you, you are more bugs than you are like Emily cells with DNA. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. So and like in those your microbiome And is the microbiome just the bugs or is it how the bugs are interacting with the Emily DNA? Well, so the the so the, it's of course they all they all interact together, but in terms of like what we're talking about like is like I'm just saying like like the microbiome can basically work for you or against you or it could be neutral, but we want we want you to have like a super healthy microbiome that's working for you and we were talking about all those like feel good neurotransmitters, most of them are actually released in the gut. And a lot of them are actually produced by the bugs. So, mm. so you know, when we talk about psychedelics, like a lot, like what a lot of psychedelics are working on is the serotonin system. So, like increasing levels of serotonin, and and was something that that I think in the psychedelic world that isn't being talked about as much yet. I'm sure it's going to be. Is like if someone's got an unhealthy microbiome, they're not producing optimal levels of serotonin. They're going to need way higher doses of psychedelics mm. to get the same experience. And so in the gut, 95% of our immune systems in the gut as well, our enteric nervous system, which is our gut nervous system, has more nerves than our central nervous system. And so- that You told me that the other day <laughs> as we were preparing for this and it blew my mind. Yeah. The enteric system, which is our gut nervous system, yeah. has more, more nerves yeah. than our central nervous system, which is the brain and spine. Yeah. Totally. That's why no one talks about the enteric nervous system. Yeah. I never hear about it. Well, you hear like people talk about, you know, like we talk about our gut feel, right? Mm-hmm. And then like now there's like books that are like, you know, the gut is like the second brain, although some will argue it's maybe the first brain because it's got more nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but all that to say that, be, and because of that connection with the vagus nerve, which is the biggest nerve, the longest nerve in the body. And the superhighway between the brain and body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if like all, all the things that we talked about, like if I do a stellate on someone and I don't address their gut, it's not going to last as long. So we like, we're pretty much always looking at like the, the gut and the brain. Um, and, and, and that's going to like the nerve, like all of the nervous systems are so important to get in balance, to get the body in balance. And the gut nervous system is so important because the immune system is there. And then mm. all these neurotransmitters that are released there. So Which the neurotransmitters are directly impacting our mood, our depression, our anxiety, our decision-making yes. matrix. So like taking care of these bugs in your belly are impacting your ability to make decisions in alignment with your dreams, your depression, your anxiety, your mood, your ability to orgasm. Yes. So it's not just like, oh, that gluten is no big deal. That sugar is no big deal. That six pack of beer I drank last night is no big deal. It is your first brain potentially. The yeah. thing that is actually controlling the brain, which is in charge of printing every single cell and making every decision in your body. Yeah. So like this is not just like cute woo-woo stuff that you'll get around to like when you retire. <laughs> It's like this stuff needs to be handled now. Like we really want to like bump it way up the priority list so that we don't have unnecessary suffering and so we're not treating the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, my, you know, my dad got prostate cancer a couple of years ago. I'm sorry. He's in Boston. He's he's fine. He totally, you know, went through radiation. But, you know, he's in Boston. He went to Harvard, which is obviously a very well-known medical system in the world. And he's a doctor too? No, he's not a doctor, but he went there, you know, to get treated oh. and- and, and, you know, one of the best systems in the world and how they treat it is like, let's kill the cancer, right? It's not like, let's address what caused the cancer, right? If we get cancer, our immune system is not identifying those damaged cells and getting rid of them before they cause cancer. And, you know, my dad has a Boston accent. He's like, he's like, yeah, Eli, I hear what you're saying, but let me just kill the cancer first. And then, and then we'll work on the underlying stuff. And it's like, no, it needs, like, it needs to happen at the same time. And it, we talk about like, you know, the inflammation, the propane, et cetera. If your gut is on fire, it's going to send, it's like everything's on fire. And I think of like inflammation as like a, a knob, right? So like if right now I, I could turn up a knob to the point that your everything in your body hurts, um, and then I could turn it down to the point that nothing hurts, like we're always trying to turn it down. And like the stellate helps turn it down and getting the gut in balance. And if it, like, but if your gut is a fire, it's like, it's it's causing everything to be out of balance. So yeah, and just to share some of the treatment that you gave me because my lower back has been sort of like on and off pain since 2020, and you put me on pretty high dose curcumin, which is an anti-inflammatory, mm-hmm. like derivative of turmeric. Yeah, and 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 you said like think about there's notice the inflammation dial in your body. Like if you're stressed, you're not sleeping, you take a flight. Yeah, like notice if the pain gets higher when the inflammation is higher. And as I was doing the curcumin and really like managing my inflammation, it did feel like the pain in my lower back went down. Yeah, so I just like that analogy of like both the bathtub, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then also what's the dial of my inflammation and can I start to associate that with the different ailments versus just like, I'm going to keep eating Wonder Bread and drinking wine every night and eating chocolate cake and never, and not exercising and not meditating. And so the bathtub is just overflowing, overflowing. And then I'm just treating the symptoms of the pain, which I think so many people are trapped in that cycle. Yeah. And so even if you're not going to go, and which I highly recommend people work with you, I highly recommend people check out Boost We'll let people know where they can go in a minute. But even if you feel like I'm not ready to try these sort of like more intensive or out there, I can't afford these regenerative treatments, that does not mean that you cannot start doing integrative medicine on yourself right totally. now. Yeah. And I appreciated what you said of like breath. 
breath work, exercise, meditation. I know that you really like everyone to look at their gluten and sugar intake yeah. because those are just inflammatory out of the gate for everybody. Yeah. Okay, last thing before we wrap is I would just selfishly love to hear, like if you'd be willing to share about what your experience has been like being inside of Evidence of Magic mm. and anything that has surprised you or anything that you've loved or, um, yeah, because we're about to open up uh, enrollment for the next one. And I, and I think it's we've kept it sort of under wraps and it's been sort of like this secret little research and development project. Yeah. But big picture, like I want everyone designing their day. I want everyone daydreaming. I want everyone using their sexual energy to manage. Manifest. So I'd love to just, if anything you'd be willing to share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like so many things I think, well, I think first of all, like the, 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 all the different people that got attracted that, that you magnetized are amazing. And I, and like the, when I, I, I had the privilege of meeting with them all before our, our retreat in order to facilitate the ketamine. And as I was meeting with everyone, I was like, these people, like everyone, they're all so amazing. And it all feels like, you know, I think you said that you prayed on like magnetizing people in, but it does really feel like di- like a divinely connected group of people. Like like it's it's pretty wild, like the synchronicities between everyone. So just like seeing that with so many different people is so magical. And then and then like that I, in and of itself is evidence of magic. Yeah, yeah. And like military folks, CIA, defense contractors, yes. mother of ten, like yeah. not your average tantricas. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like in every and it's just such a like such a supportive affirming group and and just like having that like consistency and that um like like a buddy every day to like to to have our daydreams with so like that i think you know all human behavior change is difficult like that's like the hardest thing to help get people in balance so having like an accountability buddy every day and and i feel like it's also i feel like with many of the people in the container, like we've just become good friends. Like yeah. I feel like it's kind of like friends for life. And it's also like, it's so neat to see like, like all these people that are kind of doing these pretty like outrageously successful things in their life being like, yeah. And like, I want to like, how can I better myself and how can I, how can I bring in pleasure and sacred sexuality into what I'm doing, which is just like, it's just so magical. And it's just like, like, this is just the beginning. Like what's going to happen next? So, And have yeah. you had any evidence of magic, anything that you've manifested that's been fun? Oh, like so many things. Like every day I feel like it's just like, like, like little things and big things. And, and so like on the big picture, I'm, I, I think I shared briefly, like my vision is like wellness centers around the world, like democratized wellness centers around the world that are like, you know, using all the latest and greatest and like, the, you know, Ayurvedic medicine has been around for 5,000 years and everything in between. And I, I mean, I feel like the group has been like magical in terms of like people, every, like everyone has all sorts of different, um, like skills and gifts and magic to bring to like my dream, it feels like, and, and, yeah. you know, it works in other ways as well. It, but just like since doing this, it's like, like so many people, like there are so many people like from that container who are now like helping me with with my mission and and it's like I mean like I, I like so much magic I could spend like the next hour <laughs> but like so many people that have just like come in that like where it's just feels like it's really this like divine connection but then like on a little like on a micro level like things like like last week I was catching a, a flight I was supposed to have like a five hour layover and I looked up at the board and I was like oh there's one leaving in five minutes and and I had a bag. 
And I was like, there's no way. And I was like, but like I'm you just, had checked a bag. I, yeah, like I had checked a bag. So it was a connection from Salt Lake city to Jackson. And my flight was supposed to be at like eight 30 PM, but I saw that there was one at like four 20 and it was like four. And, and I, and I was like walking from one concourse to the other. And I was like, the gate's really close. So I'll just stop by. I get there and it's like final boarding. Like everyone's already on and like, there's no chance. Right. And I just asked her, I was like, it's like any way that I could get on this flight. And, and she was like an angel. Long story short, like I get on the flight, I get it like, and it's a full flight. I get the last seat and then I get to Jackson and I think there's no way my bag's going to make it. No way. So I go up to the, the baggage claim place to say like, Hey, like my bag's not going to make it. I got on last minute and she couldn't pull it up. And she's like, well, just wait and see if it comes out. And I was like, there's no way it's going to come out. And I look at my phone and it like is like coming out on the, on the, on the like, you know, baggage conveyor belt. I I still have like no explanation for that other than (laughs) magic. So that was like full on magic, but so many things like that. Oh, travel magic is the best. Yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, when you're out of flow and you're not really like in alignment, we know what can happen on a travel day. And so when that travel magic happens, it feels so good. I was like, I was like, what just happened? Like, how did this just happen? It was really magical. And I love that you're like, oh, I've gotten like investors for my thing and and, like partners for my dream, but the, but my bag made it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, like I could just go on and on. So it's, and it's just like seeing it too. It's like the magic is there. And I think like the biggest gift really of the container is like actually like the more that you see it and acknowledge it, the more that you see it and acknowledge it. That's right? right. Like it's just like, if you don't, if you're not looking for it, you, like it's happening all the time. And I always tell people like, you can see the world as a big miracle or you can see it as a big threat. And it's kind of like your choice. So yes. Like yeah. Einstein said, you can either live your life as if everything is a miracle or nothing yeah. is. And, yeah. and similar with, with like, you know, I know we maybe shared some things that feel like disheartening or scary about the the medical industrial complex. And yet, like there are people like you, you're not the only person, you're not the only allopathic doctor who has woken up to these practices. Like as we start to get people with influence and power, like starting to practice these modalities, like there cannot help but be a ripple effect of this. And we all have recency bias. And so if we see, if we choose to see the magic in each day and then report it and share it with other people, we help to change other people's recency bias and to believe in their own magic and their own healing capability. So Alison, I'm sure that everyone is like, where do I work with this woman? (laughs) How do I get in on this healing amazingness? I want to practice regenerative medicine. Like where do people find you? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. So our website is www.boosthealing.org. I love that you give us the www. (laughs) I really appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. The worldwide. (laughs) Okay. So Uh, boosthealing.org. Yeah. And then we're going to have a special page for people watching this podcast. So it'll be forward slash Ziva. What? Boosthealing.org slash Ziva. Yes. Okay, great. So look look, look there for some special treats for Ziva folks. Oh, we like special treats. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so, so much. I'm so grateful to you for the work that you're doing in the world. I'm so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful to now understand mm. what a full witch doctor <laughs> is. And we didn't even really get into your witchiness, <laughs> Next but time. I think we're going to have to have you back. <laughs> thank you so much, Emily. This is lovely. My pleasure. Appreciate you so much. All right, sweet friends. Thank you for joining us for this mind and heart opening episode of Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I am Emily Fletcher, and I'm really excited because Dr. Allison Mulcair he is about to join me for an in-depth interview for something called Moving Into Mastery. Now, Moving Into Mastery is an advanced year-long curriculum that 
is available to graduates from Ziva online. So if you're new to this world, just go to zivameditation.com slash mastery and you can get on the wait list for the next time that we open up enrollment. And then you will get to have a masterclass from this brilliant human who is straddling both the Western and the spiritual medicine realms. So thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed it, please do share it with your friends, rate, follow. You can screenshot it and then tag us on Instagram. And that is the way that we get this flavor of medicine into the hands of the people who need it most. So I love you and I will see you next week.